The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We carry on through our day as if everything is just fine. But for many of us, it's merely a mask covering up all the emotion simmering just under the surface. Welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with Shamin Sadiq. In this program, you'll hear from others who face the same adversities in life as the rest of us. But these individuals have redirected their energies to creating extraordinary ideas and concepts. Find out what they are and what's behind the motive. Now, here is your host, Shamin Sadiq. Hello, and welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq, and I'm delighted to say that this is week number nine of this series, so I'm thrilled, and I can't believe how quickly nine weeks have zoomed past. At the end of last week, we were talking about the stories, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about each other, and how the world works. And I asked you to let this question about what the story you are telling yourself is simmer in the pot. So, uh, in the spirit of doing my own work, I too have let that story question simmer in my pot. And here's what I noticed. I have a story that is an old story, a long story that I've had for a long time about how if I'm bad, I'll be sent away. And I have a vision. I have a vision of living with love and joy with my family. So I had an opportunity to put these, this old story, uh, to illuminate this old story and choose a new one over the weekend. I was talking with uh, a beloved one, a beloved other in my life, and he asked me, what do you want? What do you really want? And there was a part of me that was afraid to say what I really wanted in that moment. And I noticed that fear arising in me and it could have silenced me. And I knew in that moment when I felt that sort of choking feeling in my, in my throat that I couldn't say it, that I was in the grip of this old story about if I'm bad, I'll be sent away. The thing about that story is if I want to live with love and joy, I have to tell the truth. I have to be real. Otherwise, I'd be building a relationship based on a lie. And so I consciously chose to tell, uh, tell him what I wanted in that moment. And I did. And an extraordinary conversation, uh, short, brief, and to the point, unfolded from there. So it paid off. My new story about the value of speaking my truth with courage and compassion and that I want to build my life on what is real as opposed to what is acceptable really, really served me yesterday. And one of the things that I realize is that this is part of living consciously. And this is the topic for today, living consciously. Part of living consciously is, is um, listening to myself, listening to ourselves, and uncovering and identifying what the stories are we're telling ourselves and then deciding, do they serve us in moving towards what we say we want or not? 
And in this case, I'm happy that I was able to say that. Old story, it just doesn't serve me. Here's one that will. One of the other things I love about living consciously is that when I began in this work of executive coaching and leadership development, I envisioned being part of professional circles. I wanted to have community in my professional life that would love and support me. I wanted to be loving and supportive of others in my circles. And so many of the work environments that I had been in previous to this career shift had not been like that. One of the people who I met early on when I began to uh, gather this professional community that I wanted around me is my guest today. His name is David Emerald Womeldorf, and he's a dear friend and a colleague, and he is also a mentor of mine. Early on, I asked him to mentor me as I was learning to deliver something new, a new workshop, a new, using a new framework. And we worked together in very interesting circumstances. There was a snowstorm, and he couldn't make it to the beginning of the first day, and I had to launch the workshop myself. Boy, was I thrilled when he walked in the door. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have him here with me today on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. So welcome, David. I mean, delighted to be with you, uh, as always. And, uh, and great story. I just want to compliment you about uh, your, your reflection and processing on the question that you left um, your listeners with last week. I know that you, are, uh, that you really do live consciously and, um, like all of us, are continuing to, um, to live into the visions of what we want in our lives. You know, I learned this from you and the others who I met when I began this chapter of my journey. So it's just a thrill to be here with you together so that we can explore this topic a little bit more. So I think it's something that a lot of people throw around the term living consciously or consciousness, but do they really know what it means and and how it manifests and what it can look like? And they know that this is something that is, has been and continues to be central for you. Yes, and it has been for a long time. Yes, yes. And um, actually, I know we were going to start at what, what's going on right now, but when you say it like that, it makes me want to ask you, like, where did this take root for you? Well, great question. And in some ways, um, uh, it's, it's gurgled inside me or bubbled inside me, marinated for, uh, in some ways, as long as I can remember. But um, a couple things that would be relevant. First of all, um, just a little bit of, of background so that uh, others and some of us will probably be new to you in terms of, of my growing up. But I, um, I very much grew up in middle America. I mean, I know this is an, uh, an international um, show, but I really grew up in middle America so much so that um, when I was a freshman in university, I was taking a political science course and uh, we read a book and, and some of our reading was a couple of... Um, Political demographers uh, had done a demographic study, and they wanted to know who was the um, statistical middle American. Mm-hmm. And what they came up with was a housewife living in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, uh, with a household income, and I can't remember now what the income was. But I grew up uh, in Kettering, Ohio, which is a suburb of Dayton, Ohio. Oh, uh, oh and they and the, the statistical. Um, Middle American family had 2.3 kids. <laughs> uh, I was the 
uh, middle of three boys, and I had a friend who used to call me the decimal point because uh, of the 2.3. Uh, so I, I grew up in neither, um, you know, privileged nor underprivileged, uh, grateful to say, uh, circumstances. But a lot of what I grew up with and a lot of what I think a lot of us grew up with were a lot of assumptions around how to live our lives, assumptions around oh, going to college, assumptions around um, you know social norms, and, and uh, many of which were very positive, very healthy, and some of which um, one who lived consciously needs to call into question as they, as they make their own uh, decisions. Uh, but I thought I'd start by saying that I really grew up in those circumstances. That said, uh, as you and I uh, have talked previously, and I've shared with you, I had a very much a a turning point experience the summer between my sophomore and junior years uh, of college and university. I had been uh, uh, growing up. I just to put us in the right kind of day and age. I graduated from high school or secondary school in uh, 1972, um, and. Uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I had two experiences that became very much fused together. One was um, uh, at the end of the sophomore uh, final term, some friends uh, called me and said, uh, we're going to go down, uh, again, at this, I lived in Ohio, we're going to go down to the Smoky Mountains and camp for the weekend. Would you like to go with us? And I said, sure. And as we were driving uh, to Tennessee, uh, one of them mentioned that they had just seen an, uh, an article, a news article about a large uh, intentional community, a commune called The Farm in Tennessee, had a, a thousand permanent residents and, and was near to where we were going. They said, why don't, we, uh, why don't we go check it out for the night? And so we did. And that was, uh, even though I was very socially conscious, it was the first time I had uh, sat around the campfire, so to speak, or sat in a tent with uh, with someone who was living a lifestyle that they had consciously chosen. Mm-hmm. And I found that very intriguing, very interesting. At the end of that summer, a friend of mine from freshman year of university, uh, long story short, committed suicide. And as my friends and I tried to make sense of this tragic experience, uh, what we, the best we could determine was that he too had grown up under a set of uh, both uh, ethnic and socioeconomic uh, assumptions of how he should live his life, and that as he looked at the options, none of them were acceptable to him, and that, um, uh, that he checked out. He jumped off a, uh, a viaduct in Akron, Ohio. And those two experiences became fused because it really... Um, caused me to step back and to begin to really ask the question that, frankly, I've lived with and lived, continue to live into of what does it mean to, in that case, consciously choose a lifestyle and to see life as a series of choices, which to me really is the bottom line of living consciously. Wow. Wow. You told me that the second part of that story before, but when you put it together with the bigger picture, it's really powerful. I mean, what were some of those assumptions that um, that your friend was 
that you think your friend was limited by mm-hmm. or couldn't see, you know, any other assumptions and that you know that you grew up with that were not so helpful? Well, in his case, um, he grew up in a family system that, uh, and I remember freshman year talking about this, that he was, he was expected to either become a lawyer or a doctor. Um, yes. a very, a very narrow set of assumptions and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that if he didn't decide to pursue those, that, um, he would join the family business and get married and, you know, produce grandkids, et cetera. Uh, and my set of assumptions were, again, very middle American that, um, that you would go to, to college, get your four four year degree, uh, get some sort of a, a professional um, job of some sort, and mine was more of the um, you know suburban home white picket fence, um, <laughs> two point three kids myself or something yes. like that. Uh, but just yeah. assuming that um, you know would follow that kind of uh, in that day and age quote unquote normal path and. <laughs> Uh, even though I was, you know, as as many of us are as a, as a, a teenager, was rebellious in my own way and very, again, socially conscious and and uh, and all of that, I still was operating uh, under a, a very unconscious. I mean, when I say it was a set of assumptions, I really was not, uh, frankly, even conscious of those assumptions until I had that turning point uh, event in my life of the suicide. And it sounds like it made you really stop and take a look at, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, and not, not only stop and take a look, but I, um, I stayed at the, the university I was attending was on the what they called the quarter system. So there were three terms and then a summer term in the year. And I stayed two more terms before I, um, I dropped out and I got, again, uh, very almost uh, obsessive-compulsive in terms of, uh, so I actually started on campus a um, an information resource center that was part of the campus ministry office around um, called it also which stood for alternative lifestyles opportunities so information on intentional communities the early um, uh, a cooperative uh, like food co-ops and and that sort of thing and uh, and that I I decided did a lot of research into. Uh, not only the social side of living consciously, but I read a lot about different religions. I read a lot about um, consciousness research at the time. Um, you know, all kinds of things that ranged from well-grounded to kind of you know out there, uh, so to speak. And then I, I decided that I wanted to um, to eventually write a book. Uh, oddly enough, and we'll come back to that. But uh, in terms of what I'm doing today, but at the time thought. I would do some what I fashioned as a kind of a sociological participant research, and I was going to drop out of school and uh, travel around the country and visit uh, intentional communities and interview people about what had gone on in their lives and why they had chosen the lifestyle that they uh, were choosing to, to lead. And... Um, you know, without making our whole conversation about it, uh, eventually I did that. I, I uh, dropped out and spent another three or four months uh, at home and working and eventually spent uh, almost a year traveling around in a pickup truck with a homemade camper on the back, um, visiting people uh, in a wide variety of, again, what I call intentional communities, some of which were quite well-grounded and um, mm-hmm. 
very functional and <laughs> others that uh, were quite dysfunctional and kind of out there. To, to give you one example of one that was out there was I spent, uh, I think, five days with a community in Tonopah, uh, Arizona, that lived in uh, houses that they had built shaped like uh, flying saucers, and they were waiting for uh, the space people to come and rescue humanity. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. And then again, some really well grounded. Um, and and the the big lesson from that to to kind of uh, share what what was probably the major insight out of that period of time for me was that what made for the more functional um, uh, communities that I visited was the quality and clarity of their agreements and commitments. Mm. And what distinguished, you know, back in those days, there was also a lot about um, cults, and there was a lot in the news about uh, deprogrammers, people that would, um, you know, work psychologically with individuals who become part of cults. And my my distinguishing fa- uh, factor between cults and communities was that with cults, once you are in the community, it's very hard, or at least psychologically, almost impossible to leave. Yes. Whereas, again, effective communities and and communities that were living consciously was, if you want to join, here are our sets of uh, our commitments and our agreements, and if you don't want to abide by, the, by these, you're free to leave. Okay, so that's the distinguishing feature is that you're not you're not obliged to remain. Correct. Uh, that, yeah. that at least was my experience in the yeah. in the mid seventies. Yeah. yeah. You know what I love about your story is that I'm I'm guessing if I do the math right that you were you know in your early twenties when this yeah. happened or maybe around twenty um, or just before and I just I love the courage I love the courage that the curiosity was married with in that allowed you to actually go do that. I appreciate that. I wish my I wish my parents would have loved it at the time. <laughs> as, as you can understand, they were a bit nervous. Although I will I will say that, um, especially my dad, who was very uh, uh, open minded about a lot of things, um, was concerned for me. But he said, "If you need to do this, um, do this. Just come back." That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Well, we need to take a break from Stories from the Heart of Leadership, but when we come back, we'll hear more from our guest, David Emerald Wolmeldorf, about uh, his story and his journey into living consciously. If you would like to get in touch with David, you can do so by emailing him at david at powerofted.com. We'll be right back with Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. 
Could your business be doing better? In today's economy, results are dependent on your leaders. And you know, effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders every time. The Leadership Circle Profile Assessment enhances effectiveness in leadership. It's the only 360 that reveals what's going on with your manager, why it's happening, and what actions to take for positive change. Want to improve business? We have the system and the breakthrough tools to make it happen. For a free demo, visit theleadershipcircle.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Listening to stories from the heart of leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at anjaliLeadership.com. That's S H A H M E E N at A N J A L I Leadership.com. Now, back to stories from the heart of leadership. Welcome back. This is Shamin Sadiq. I'm your host on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Before we jump back into our conversation with David, I want to take a moment to acknowledge my sponsors. I was talking about how blessed I am to have these professional communities that I'm a member of, and all of my sponsors represent those communities. So first, a big thank you to Jim Anderson and Dan Holden for their generosity and support. They're actually going to be joining me on a show uh, in in a couple of weeks, which is fantastic. We have that to look forward to. And if you want to reach uh, Jim, you can do so at fit2lead.com and Dan at danielholdenassociates.com. Both of these gentlemen are executive coaches and leadership consultants, and you'd be uh, well served to consult with them uh, should the need arise. The other sponsor I'd like to acknowledge is my beloved Leadership Circle. And I was actually teaching a certification to professional coaches last week in the Leadership Circle, and I'm always delighted to jump into that pond and swim with new colleagues there. And that they can be reached at uh, theleadershipcircle.com and fcg-global.com. So back to you, David. I was thinking about over the break when we met, I was trying to remember what year it was, and I think it was 2009. I think it was early that year that we first worked together. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I met you then, and you were you were presented to me as an elder in this work, someone who'd been around in the work that you and I do now um, for a long time, and someone well poised to to mentor me and and teach me, which has been an awesome opportunity to work with you. I haven't don't think we've worked together since then, but that was just an amazing three days. So tell me, what took you from that trip? Uh, around to all of these intentional communities, what led you from that into this work of leadership consulting and coaching? Well, great question, and uh, um, it went through, uh, as you can imagine, so, well, first of all, several decades. Uh, but what happened was that um, uh, I came back from my time on the road, and I spent about three months uh, up in Connecticut with um, uh, a friend and his wife, and uh, did a little bit of writing and actually submitted a, a manuscript um, that that never uh, really went anywhere, although I, I will share with you the title, which I, I still love the uh, 
the title that came up with the book uh, for the book, which was um, uh, oh gosh, I, I just went blank on it. Um, uh, I'll come back to it later. I can't, yes. I can't remember it. Uh, but it, it was the oh the, um, the well the subtitle was okay. The title was Time Out, and this mm-hmm. is relevant to our conversation. The, the title was Time Out with an exclamation mark, and then the subtitle was The Search for Certitude. Oh. And where the subtitle came from was that I found that virtually everyone I talked to uh, who had who were in some form of intentional community that they had chosen to uh, join, that they had co- reached a point in their life where they kind of called time out. And it was kind of the existential and big life questions of, you know, what's life all about and how do I choose to live and what are my values, et cetera. So after I uh, had realized that the book wasn't going to go anywhere, I, I went back to Ohio and, quite frankly, um, went back into, I certainly didn't shut down consciously, but I kind of went back into the path that um, I assumed that I had, would follow. I, went, I ended up going back to uh, to university, although I went to a different university and Based on my experience, I designed my own uh, undergraduate uh, degree, my bachelor's degree, and it was a combination of, uh, of sociology, urban studies, and communications, and I called the curriculum Community and Communication, yeah. and um, uh, very much was focused on how do we build community, how do we live consciously in community. And my original, uh, my first job out of college uh, I was very fortunate while I was in college and university to be an undergraduate teaching assistant in interpersonal communication. At the same time, I also got trained in video production. I actually worked in a uh, television studio on the campus. And so my first job out of college was helping start a um, a public access, not in the States we have also have public television, but uh, a public access cable television uh, system and channel with a, with a number of other people, and that that job was focused on teaching people to use uh, the cable channel to um, uh, to do a variety of programming, and uh, very much an extension of my idea of of uh, you know how do we build consciously community. And um, one of the things I did uh, as part of that job was I turned to uh, agencies that were affiliated with uh, the United Way in Dayton, Ohio, and encouraged them to make programs, uh, which then took me, uh, ended up getting recruited to the United Way in uh, communications and eventually became the communications director. Give me a quick travel log here. And then, uh, yeah. then Actually, uh, no, just pause for a second because there's something sure. I want to I wanna name that I'm seeing in your story so far mm-hmm. is that your, your, your curiosity and interest in this intentional community, intentional living and conscious living uh, was sparked at that early age. You went on this trip and began to study them almost like a scientist, I wanted to say mm-hmm. when you were telling me about it. Mm-hmm. And then what I see you doing is putting into practice, not in the sense that you moved into one of those communities, but more like the way that you um, consciously created your your undergraduate experience, or at least your your um, set of courses at your program. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that's an example of living consciously. Yeah. Let me assemble the courses that will be the ones that are you know going to serve 
what I think my purpose is right now or mm-hmm. the learning that I want to get. And then the radio or the TV program that you talked about, mm-hmm. um, you said working in a community of people to do that. Right. So it was just not only was the offer something that was about living intentionally and consciously, but even the way in which you approached it had that intentionality to it. That's what I'm noticing, and I just wanted to underline that because I think it's beautiful how this has be- I'm he- seeing in your story, it's a mirror that reflects on so many levels. Well, I appreciate that, and, and just hearing you feed, uh, acknowledge that and feed that back to me, I feel very, um, I feel very blessed, uh, and you know, this, what I'm about to say truly doesn't feel to me to be an ego statement, but with that, given the, that early formative experience when I was about, I think I was 22 when I was uh, out in the desert southwest, is that I've been blessed to have a level of, and not that I don't go unconscious, as we all do from time to time and, and even periods of time, but I've been really blessed to, um, to be pretty intentional um, and to, when opportunities come up, to really be intentional about what I choose to do and what I choose not to do. And... Um, and one of the things that you're noticing that I know to be true of my career is that um, I n- never fell into the, again, set of assumptions, which is I'll pick a profession and people will tell me what I need to do to, to be successful. Uh, in fact, um, I remember I was, I was very um, fortunate, very uh, uh, honored at one point gosh, I think in the late 80s, to be uh, selected as uh, the alumni of the year for uh, Wright State University in Dayton, where I went to finish my degree uh, as uh, the communication alumni of the year. And I was asked to give a a, a keynote speech. And the the essence of the keynote speech, which is, I'm sharing this because it's reflective of your observation, is, and I'm speaking primarily to... Uh, seniors in university who were getting ready to go out. And I said, as you go out into the workforce, don't go out in the mindset of looking for and following a career path. Mm. Go out and create a career path. And I can honestly say that um, that's been, I've been, again, been blessed with, that's been my experience is that um, most of the jobs I've had when I've been internal in organizations I either um, was the first to occupy the position, or I actually created the position out of a out of a need that I saw. And although it wasn't always uh, explicitly either in my mind or in my attempt, uh, is that I can also say that as I went from started to transition from communication into more organizational uh, and management and leadership development, which we can talk about, which we will talk about. Um, it's always been with a kind of a background of how do we work effectively and efficiently together as a community called an organization, because organizations are uh, certainly a form of community as well. So that formative experience has been uh, really formed a background and a context for, frankly, all the work I've done since, personally and professionally. 
the the new thing that you're bringing in here that I hadn't made such an explicit connection with before is create creating what you're calling creating um, or being a creator. I think that's the language mm-hmm. that you use in your book. Um, is the link between this uh, living consciously and creating right? Mm-hmm. creating these roles as you stepped into these organizations, either because you were the first one or because you saw a need. But there's um, there's a strong link there for me that I hadn't seen so strongly until now that you're telling me this story. So, so yay, awesome. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, and again, it's been such a fabric of the life that I've been blessed to lead. And yet, in saying that, I also want to be really clear uh, and I know that you know this about me, but listeners would not, is that it hasn't been all goodness and light. I mean, I certainly have had um, my share of, uh, of dark times, of you know setbacks, of challenges. Um, but uh, even in those times, I've been able to find my way um, and to come out of them uh, and applying some of the the conscious principles that um, that you and I and and you mentioned uh, Jim and Dan who are going to be your future guests and and our our work with uh, also with the leadership circle that the by using the the practices and principles that we bring into that frame of leadership um, has also been part of my life because the what we talk about in that context and what tends to be an organizational context, I, I also firmly believe, and I know in a few minutes we'll talk about uh, uh, my book, The Power of Ted, but uh, to me it all begins with, any form of leadership begins with self-leadership. And the question of how we choose to lead our own lives has everything to do with the quality of leadership we bring to our organizations or to our communities or to our families and our neighborhoods. Mm. The other thing that's coming up for me as I listen is that there's a certain amount of grace that's present here too. Mm. Like there's the there's the intentionality, there's the consciousness, there's the I mean communication and community is obviously your thing. I mean those are just two such strong strong pieces in you and um and I love that you reminded us that it hasn't been all easy along the way, that there have been things that have challenged you. And I think that without those challenging moments, we don't get to test whether all this conscious intentionality actually works or, or right. actually, you know, how's it going to fly when things get hard? And then there's this grace that is also present in your story. Um, so I'm just, I'm loving the combination of all of it. I appreciate that, and, and I realize that we're probably coming up close to a, a break here, but let me just give you one real quick example of a, a darker time, which uh, uh, at one point in my professional career when I was uh, still working uh, inside an organization, I had a period of time where I uh, found myself reporting to a new boss who um, who now serves as my worst boss ever story, mm, mm. and I can tell several stories about this individual. But I also share with people in our leadership training that um, I would not trade that time for anything. I would never want to repeat it again, but I would never trade it because it really caused me to put these principles into practice and to step back and say, what am I committed to? What are my boundaries? What, is, what do I feel called to, to do um, with my life and in my life? 
and and it was a, a very much a crucible time that was um, that was very dark. I'm sure that uh, had I had I sought medical attention, I was either had or was on the verge of ulcers. It was such a uh, uh, an intensely challenging time, and yet it um, it actually propelled me toward the work that that I'm doing today. Wow. Wow. We have time to hear a, a tiny snippet of a story if you want to share one, just I, because I think it's important for listeners to ground this stuff in our stories. Um, sure. Many of us have had bad bosses or bosses that we, right. that we were very challenged by. Um, tell us one thing about um, this person. Well, another or about, story. Or, about the, your experience. Back yeah. up after the break. So that, that was a professional story, but a, on the personal side, and this is part of what informs the, uh, the story that's in the power of Ted, is that uh, personally, I went through a period of time, about an 18-month period of time, in which three major things happened in my life. One was that my uh, my dad, who I was very close to, had a very healthy relationship, uh, died at a much too young age. Uh, in fact, I'm approaching the age at which he passed away. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, my wife at the time and I had been uh, attempting to start a family, and uh, long story short, found out that um, that was improbable, at least biologically, because I was declared medically uh, infertile. And as a result of that, and largely as a result of that, um, our marriage ended up dissolving. And um, uh, and one of the healthiest things that I think anyone could do in those kinds of circumstances that I reached out for uh, professional work, uh, help and started doing some work with a therapist um, but again, a very dark period of time that uh, caused me to really do a lot of introspection and a lot of exploration, which uh, introspection and exploration are, are, are both very important components of, uh, of living consciously. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot all at the same time. It uh, was. <laughs> those, are, those are all it right was. up there in, those, in that list of the things that are the most challenging. Yeah. Um, death, divorce, and the news that you couldn't have children. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So life, well, you know, life does um, uh, serve up challenges. And I, you know, I, I firmly believe that, uh, quite frankly, I believe that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And that part of the human experience is that, um, you know, life is a learning laboratory. And how do we learn to choose our response to challenging situations and how do we learn to um, create to the best of our ability the, the lives of, and uh, professions of our choosing. Which is the question that we can grapple with when we come back. Okay. And we want to hear more from you, David Emerald Womeldorf, about um, just how you've done that and how you help others do that, because I know that's what you're up to today. This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadek. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What does success mean to you? Is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener? We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. 
Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Could your business be doing better? In today's economy, results are dependent on your leaders. And you know effective leaders outperform ineffective leaders every time. The Leadership Circle Profile Assessment enhances effectiveness in leadership. It's the only 360 that reveals what's going on with your manager, why it's happening, and what actions to take for positive change. Want to improve business? We have the system and the breakthrough tools to make it happen. For a free demo, visit theleadershipcircle.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is Shamin at AnjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. Now, back to stories from the heart of leadership. Welcome back. I'm your host, Shamin Sadik, and this is Stories from the Heart of Leadership. We're talking with David Emerald Womeldorf today about living consciously. And David, before the break, you shared a couple of stories with us, uh, both a professional one about a, a boss that was so difficult and also some of the personal situations that challenged you at, um, at a pivotal moment in your life. And when I met you, one of the things you uh, one of the things I did right after meeting you was I bought your book, The Power of Ted, and read it and loved it. So oh, tell us, you. how did those experiences lead you into Ted and, and this work that you're up to now? Well, I appreciate the question, and, and um, I'll pick up with the story that, uh, that I shared before the break because it leads right into where Ted really came from. Um, so as I was working with the therapist uh, at this period of, of time, I was uh, introduced to the what's called the Cartman Drama Triangle uh, and the, the relationship roles and dynamics that um, Dr. Stephen Cartman, oh gosh, first articulated back in the ni- late 1960s, but he observed the relationship dynamics between uh, what he calls victim, persecutor, and rescuer, and um, and how we all play all three roles, but you know, in order to be a victim, one must have a persecutor, and then very often either a rescuer either inserts themselves into the system or the victim starts looking for a rescuer. And uh, without going deeply into it, given our limited time here, I'll just say that, that as I got introduced to it, it was what I, uh, to this day, call a blinding flash of the obvious in that... <laughs> Uh, or what I call a BFO, uh, because it just so named so much of my experience, and I believe it so names kind of uh, the experience of uh, most of us as spiritual beings having a human experience. And over several months of, of working with this therapist and um, looking at uh, the ways I had played all three roles and, and with my dominant role of rescuer in, in drama situations, um, I remember one morning um, 
uh, and this is well over twenty years ago now. Uh, I was sitting down doing my what my wife Donna and I still call our quiet time, and I was in a very uh, kind of prayerful, contemplative space, and often would be journaling. And in that contemplative space, I said a little prayer to the to the God of my understanding, however people interpret that. But I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to surrender my victim stance in the world, but I need to know what's the opposite of victim. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, immediately, uh, I can see why people say they heard voices, although I didn't, but immediately the word creator popped into my mind as the opposite of victim. Oh, and wow. um, it was such a personal epiphany. I just remember my eyes flying open and going, wow, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect that. Now, I think that that was somewhat... Uh, subconsciously informed by, at the time I was taking a course called uh, 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 Evenings uh, called Technologies for Creating out of Robert Fritz's creating work. Mm. Um, but uh, that with that epiphany, over the years, I started to wonder, well, if, if creator is the opposite of victim, are there opposites or what I've now come to call the antidotes to the persecutor and rescuer roles? And um, that over uh, many, many years emerged as Ted. And again, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll fast forward this. But what, what happened was I, I would think about it for a while, and then sometimes I would forget about it or go on with life. And um, about 10 years ago now, I came across um, some journaling I had done and uh, around uh, the, an alternate triangle. And shortly thereafter, I was in a coaching session at uh, the University of Notre Dame and the uh, Executive Integral Leadership Program that we're involved in. And I had a very powerful coaching uh, conversation with someone around their, the feedback that they received from their employees and their peers and their boss. And this person brought up in the conversation about how he saw so many people in his workplace as victims. Mm-hmm. And I ended up sharing with him what at the time was the the form uh, and some of the labels I had for uh, uh, this alternate triangle, which I didn't have a name for. And it was a very powerful conversation for both of us. And it was really out of that conversation and sharing that conversation with with Donna, who's now my wife, that uh, she encouraged me to write what has become the the power of TED. And if I can, I'll go ahead and say that TED... uh, stands for the empowerment dynamic, which again is the antidote to what I call the dreaded drama triangle, or DDT, of the uh, uh, victim-persecutor-rescuer set of roles and relationships. So the antidote to that toxic DDT roles are creator as the antidote to victim, um, challenger as the antidote to, to persecutor, and what I mean by that is that if we have adopted a creator orientation toward our experience, Rather than reacting to the persecutors in our lives, we have at least the the chance of saying, "What has this come into my life to cause me to learn, grow, develop?" Uh, and I often use the story of my bad boss as an illustration of that. Uh, that boss was certainly a challenger to me, from which I I learned and grew a lot. And then the antidote to the role of the rescuer, which is, you know, intended to be a helping role, but unfortunately, rescuer often is reinforcing the powerlessness of the victim. The antidote to the role of the rescuer is a role of coach. And mm. it doesn't have to be a coach with a capital C. It could be just a trusted friend who um, sees the person that they're supporting as a creator in their own right and that they're ultimately responsible for uh, their own choices, but supports by... 
asking questions to help them clarify either outcomes or clarify how they choose to respond to life circumstances, etc. So the creator, uh, challenger, coach become uh, the antidote to the DDT, and that's really what the power of TED is all about. The word that comes up for me here is alternate. Um, I'm drawn to that word because it's there's a theme of alternate for you too. It wasn't that the name of oh, something good. you did Alter, in college? Alternative lifestyles. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so part of your gift, and I know I, I've never heard you frame it this way. It's just so this maybe I'm playing the role of coach at the moment. But <laughs> um, uh, the theme I'm seeing for you is is that. Um, you are the creator of alternate, and and what I think that means, at least what it means to me in this moment, is mm-hmm. um, one who shows someone another possibility. Got it, well, and uh, and I'll certainly take that on it. And I think that again, um, connecting it to the theme of our conversation around con- living consciously is that um, uh, what Ted does, and I, I, I'll use the, the word graced as you used earlier and, and also blessed to have had that epiphany that I'm now sharing with others, is that it is um, opening uh, one's awareness to alternatives to um, what I think all too often is our default way of uh, being and our default um, kind of roles and relationships. Uh, because the DDT is really rooted in uh, what in some of our work we call problem orientation or reactive orientation. In the TED work, I call it a victim orientation, but where we're focused on problems and we're driven by fear and anxiety and we're just reacting to what's going on around us. And in order to shift to what in TED uh, we call a creator orientation, in other contexts we may call an outcome or creative orientation, we have to consciously, so again, intentionally it requires consciousness, but to, um, or, or conscious awareness to focus on the outcomes that we want to create and also to choose consciously the response, to, our response to the situations we find ourselves in, which is going to tend to be more love and passion based and the, the steps that we take, what I call in Ted the baby steps that we take, um, are all consciously chosen. So you're right, it is an alternative, and it's an alternative that requires conscious awareness to make those choices. Now, as you think of yourself and what you're up to today, because one thing I do know about vision is it, it evolves and it morphs Absolutely. over time, and as we create something, some outcome, as you say, that we want, uh, then another one becomes apparent to us. So in, in, again, service of us doing our own work, tell, tell us what is your desired future now? What is your vision? What is the thing that you are wanting to create now? What's your sense of it at this moment? Wow, great question. And do we have another show? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, you know, uh, I, again, I feel so graced and blessed to, to um, you know, language that may sound a little strange that, that I've used for years is that, um, uh, is that I feel blessed to get to live in this kind of conversation in my life, like the conversation that we're having. And I have for also for quite some time for um, the last, Oh, 15, 20 years have actually, uh, in certain contexts, I tell people who ask me what I did, I, I would say, well, I'm an evolutionary facilitator. 
And what I mean by that is that I really have taken on as my sense of purpose and calling to help facilitate um, the evolution of conscious living, of conscious working, um, as my life work. And so the work that you and I get to do in organizations, and I know you've got your own uh, also coaching practice, so you're also working with uh, individuals, not necessarily in an organizational context. We're also doing that with, with Ted. And so Ted really is an expression, is kind of my current expression that I think will be the primary frame for my expression of that sense of purpose and calling, probably for the, the balance of, uh, of my lifetime. Um, but what I envision is uh, also um, moving it beyond being dependent upon me, um, because this work is, is well beyond um, David. It's, uh, and it's the reason why it also was uh, uh, given a name like Ted, so that, uh, so that others can be doing Ted work in their own way in the world. And, um, and so at this point, you know, it's interesting, this notion of vision, because sometimes the envisioned outcomes that we have are really clear and concrete, and, you know, we can, we can really envision them with some clarity, and, and, and that there is kind of a, we know when it's been created, and as you say, then something else, we go on to something else. Yes. Uh, the honest answer to your question is I feel like that I'm not clear of what the end state is, but I'm clear of the I'm clear about the path that I'm on, if yes. that makes sense. And so yes. uh, I'm at a period of my life, you know, I'm, I'm, I turned 60 this year, and I'm in an age and stage of my life where I feel that I'm doing what I came here to do, and how that's going to unfold uh, is a mystery that I'm excited about living into. And it's the continuation of that evolution that you, right. that, again, another beautiful reflection of how you live what you are and who you are and what you are up to. Uh, I attempt to, but also in the spirit of full disclosure and candidness, you know, just like we talked about that life has not been all goodness and light, um, all you'd have to do is to ask uh, my wife, Donna, if I am, you know, always living from a, uh, an empowerment dynamic and always living from a creator orientation? And the answer is no. Like everyone else, uh, I go reactive and, and uh, you know, find myself um, uh, trying to live this work to the, to the best of my ability. And um, uh, so I just want to be really clear that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that many of us teach what we most need to learn. Yes. And... Um, so I'm blessed to have a professional life that allows me to do that. Well, and we have been so blessed to have you here with us today on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. David, thank you so much My for being pleasure. here today. So great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. So, listeners... David and I both teach the Leadership Circle Profile Certification, which is coming up. I forgot to mention this. It's coming up in, um, in Chicago in May, in Washington in, in June, in Denver in October, and I believe in Boston later this month. And so if you're interested in availing yourself of that learning, go to theleadershipcircle.com. And let's close with a question for a simmering in the pot over the week. What is the thing you yearn to create 
That's the question that I'm, I'm drawn to leave you with coming out of this conversation. So let it simmer and feel free to send me an email, shamin, S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at Anjali Leadership. That's A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. And I'll talk to you next week on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us today for Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Shamin Sadiq will be back next Monday with another extraordinary guest at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you'll come back as well. Have a terrific week. And remember, you are not alone. 